Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Domtar Corporation Q3 2020 Earnings Conference Call with Financial Analyst. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation today, we will conduct a question and answer session, and participants will be asked to press star 1 to register for a question. Should you require any other assistance during the call today, please press star 0 on your touchtone phone. As a reminder, this call is being recorded. Today is November 6, 2020. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Nicholas Estrella. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Carrie. Good morning, and welcome to our third quarter 2020 earnings call. Our speakers today will be John Williams, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Daniel Buron, Senior Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. During the call, references will be made to supporting slides, and you can find this presentation in the investor section of the website. As a reminder, all statements made during the call that are not based on historical facts are forward-looking statements subject to, number, to a number of risks and uncertainties, many of which are outside our control. I invite you to review Domtar's filings to the Securities Commissions for a listing of those. Finally, certain non-U.S. GAAP financial measures will be presented and discussed, and you can find the reconciliation to the closest GAAP measures in the appendix of this morning's release, as well as on our website. So with that, I'll turn it over to John. Thank you, Nick, and good morning, everyone. Throughout this past quarter, our teams have demonstrated resiliency by continuously adapting to changing market conditions, maintaining a laser focus on health and safety, and taking decisive actions in running our operations and serving our customers under challenging and unprecedented conditions. We delivered a solid quarter with $118 million of EBITDA before items ahead of our expectations and better than the prior quarter, while generating more than $120 million of operating cash flow. Our efforts were supported by an improvement in market conditions and were awarded by strong momentum from the execution of the strategic initiatives we announced on the last quarterly earnings call. Due to our decision to implement a cost reduction program, we've generated considerable immediate benefits, which positions Domtar as a stronger, more resilient, and more agile organization. We expect additional savings to come in the coming quarters. In paper, our cost reduction program, including the permanent closure of production facilities and the flow-through benefit of improved volume, drove better quarter three results. After the significant drop in market demand at the early stages of the pandemic, demand in most markets began to recover in quarter three and activity and momentum are still gradually improving. Our teams are doing an excellent job managing costs and delivering a strong operational performance at both our mills and converting facilities. Our entire supply chain is performing well and we remain close to our customers and suppliers so that we can respond swiftly to shifting market conditions and meet their needs. In pulp, prices remain at cyclically low levels in quarter three and global market dynamics continued to be challenging. However, strong demand 
maintenance outages, and restocking in China brought markets back into better balance towards the end of the quarter. In this environment, our focus remains on serving the customers in end-use markets that are enjoying strong demand. In personal care, we had a strong cost performance in the quarter. We continue to execute well against our objectives, both commercially and operationally, which has contributed to our strong year-to-date performance. Year-to-date sales are 8% higher, while year-to-date EBITDA has improved by over 50% when compared to last year. Although revenue remains somewhat unpredictable due to the uncertainty around the global COVID-19 pandemic, we will benefit from the full run rate of new customer wins and by managing our inventory levels to service our customers through the volatility. With that, let me turn the call over to Daniel for the financial review before making further comments on our strategic initiatives and the fourth quarter outlook. Daniel? Thank you, John, and good morning, everyone. So far, 2020 has certainly been very challenging, but we are executing extremely well, as evidenced by our financial results this quarter. Let's start by going over the financial highlights on slide four. We reported this morning a net loss of $1.67 per share for the third quarter, compared to net earnings of $0.34 per share for the second quarter of 2020. Adjusting for items, our earnings were $0.33 per share in the third quarter, compared to earnings of $0.36 per share for the prior quarter. In the third quarter, we recorded $111 million of accelerated depreciation following the announced capacity closures and $68 million of restructuring costs related to our cost reduction program. These costs include mainly raw material and supplies inventory write-down and severance costs. We expect further closure and restructuring expense in the next few quarters as we continue to progress on our $200 million cost reduction program. EBITDA before items amounted to $118 million compared to $91 million in the second quarter. Turning to the sequential variation in earnings on slide five. Consolidated sales were $112 million higher than the second quarter due mostly to higher sales in the paper and personal care businesses. Depreciation, depreciation and amortization was flat when compared to the second quarter, and sge was $6 million higher than the second quarter, largely due to lower COVID-related wage subsidy and higher incentive accruals. In the third quarter, we recorded an income tax benefit of $55 million, resulting in a book tax rate of 38%. This higher-than-expected tax rate is due mostly to the change in the mix of earnings and the impact of the CARES Act on our full-year forecasted tax rate. Now turning to the cash flow statement on slide 6. Cash flows from operating activities amounted to $121 million, while capital expenditures amounted to $28 million. This resulted in free cash flow of $93 million in the third quarter. Our net debt to total capitalization ratio stood at 28% at the end of the third quarter. Turning to the waterfall on slide seven. When compared to the second quarter, EBITDA before items increased by $27 million due to higher productivity for $29 million, higher volume for $17 million, lower raw material costs for $13 million, higher selling prices for $10 million, and favorable exchange rates for $1 million. 
These were partially offset by lower, lower COVID-related wage subsidy for $16 million, a non-production agreement revenue realized in Q2 for $7 million, higher maintenance costs for $12 million, higher freight costs for $5 million, higher fixed costs for $2 million, and higher SG&E for $1 million. Now the review of business segment starting on slide eight. In the pulp and paper segment, sales were 12% higher when compared to the second quarter and 17% lower when compared to the same period last year. The bidder before item was $98 million, which was $33 million higher than the second quarter of 2020. Our paper business on slide nine. Sales were 23% higher versus last quarter and were 21% lower versus the same period last year. Estimated EBITDA, EBITDA before item was $119 million. Manufacturer paper shipment were 20% higher when compared to the second quarter and 18% lower when compared to the same period last year. Average transaction prices for all our paper grades were $29 per ton higher than the last quarter largely due to customer and product mix. Let's turn to our pulp business on slide 10. Sales were 8% lower versus the last quarter and 6% lower versus the same period last year. Estimated EBITDA before item was a negative $21 million. Pulp shipments were 7% lower versus the second quarter and 5% lower when compared to the same period last year. Average pulp prices decreased $3 per, per metric ton versus the second quarter. Now let's look at page 11. Our paper inventory decreased 20,000 tons when compared to the last quarter, while pulp inventory increased by 38,000 metric tons. Our personal care business on slide 12. Sales increased 6% when compared to last quarter and 11% versus the same period last year. EBITDA before item was $31 million, $2 million lower than the second quarter, and $7 million higher than the same period last year. Slide 13 outlined our maintenance schedule for the remainder of the year. So this concludes my financial review, and with that, I'll turn the call back to John. John? Thank you, Daniel. In paper, strong production translated into an outstanding cost performance in the quarter, and one of our best in recent years. A key focus for us in a weak demand environment is to protect our overall profitability, and we are delivering. Results in paper improved substantially in the third quarter, reflecting our team's swift response in implementing cost savings in a healthier volume environment. We've seen several consecutive months of increased sales and business activity from the lows of April and May. Our average paper prices increased by $29 per ton when compared to the second quarter, as higher volume led to a significantly better mix of grades. We saw improvements across all core channels and most of our key customers. The Office Products channel is improving and our customers are seeing good sell-through rates. The Merchant channel also experienced a good recovery with growth across all of our partners. Although demand is improving, we continue to proactively balance our production with our customer demand and to tightly control inventory levels. We took 38,000 tons of market downtime net of the mill closures, resulting in a 20,000-ton inventory reduction in the quarter. Over the last five quarters, we've lowered our inventory levels by nearly 130,000 tons as we adjust inventory to a new customer demand profile. 
As previously announced, we are permanently reducing our annual production capacity by 721,000 tonnes of uncoated free sheet. The Kingsport and Ashdown paper machines, which had been idled since April 2020, were permanently shut during the quarter. The Port Huron mill is scheduled to cease operations in quarter 121, and we're in the process of transferring a large portion of their grades to other mills, so we continue to support our key customers in those grades. Looking forward, return to the office and back to school remain key demand drivers for us. We believe that channel inventories are at relatively low levels, while import volumes have dropped to the lowest point in over a decade. Our focus is continuing to maintain a low-cost supply chain and deliver orders to our customers in a reasonable lead time while meeting their changing needs. In pulp, the global nature of the business and the differing end-use markets have led to wide-ranging impacts as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Most of our larger customers maintained steady volume through the quarter, while global tissue shipments remain above trend. We believe our pulp shipments were lower due to inventory adjustments at the customer level, while price realizations remain relatively flat when compared to quarter two. Now let me provide an update on the strategic initiatives we announced last quarter. During quarter three, the Ashdown Mill successfully restarted the bale pulp dryer following the curtailment of paper operations. This was a significant milestone for the mill on its journey to becoming a world-class softwood and fluff pulp mill and for its readiness to produce linerboard in the future. The dryer started up with hardwood pulp that was previously supplying our paper operations. We'll transition from hardwood bales to softwood bales in quarter one of 2021, and we'll further optimize with some targeted investments to improve the productivity of the mill also in quarter one, 21. Turning to our Kingsport mill, the conversion to recycled liner board is proceeding as planned. We're putting all of our efforts into enabling a startup by the end of 2022. Once complete, the Kingsport mill will become North America's premier lightweight container board facility able to produce and market about 600,000 tons of high-quality recycled liner board and corrugated media manually. That level of capacity will make Kingsport the second largest recycled liner board paper machine in North America. Most recently, we've signed an agreement with Voith to provide equipment and technical services at our Kingsport mill and help build one of the most modern, lowest-cost recycled container board mills in the world. We expect to receive our first equipment deliveries in the next few months, with construction set to begin in the second quarter of 21. In the meantime, we're actively building our various teams, including sales, fiber procurement, quality, and business processes. Kingsport will be well positioned to be the go-to supplier to independent converters for quality, service, and innovation. We're advancing our commercial strategy, and I'm very pleased with the feedback we've received so far from the markets and potential packaging customers. Kingsport strategically located less than a day's drive from more than 60 independent corrugated customers serving food, beverage, and e-commerce markets. This represents nearly 4 million tons of annual container board demand. 
Since announcing our strategic entry into the packaging space, we've received a significant amount of interest from independent box converters as well as end-use customers. Meetings with several different channel partners have resulted in a number of non-disclosure agreements with potential customers. The North American containable market's large, approximately 40 million tons per year, and growing at 2% or 800,000 tons per year. And it supports a variety of industries that align with many of today's trends, including e-commerce, environmental sustainability, and more. Importantly, as demand for containable continues to grow at a rapid pace, many of the independent converters don't have the capabilities to grow at the same pace given the line-aboard supply risk they face in the current market structure. We intend to position ourselves as the go-to supplier to independent box converters by enabling their growth with a unique and compelling value proposition. As per the conversion roadmap, the work we're doing will result in Domtar having the ability to produce 2.5 million tons of container board at four facilities with market softwood and fluff pulp optionality at two of those sites. Overall, we're pleased with where we're headed and are even more convinced that the conversion roadmap will create significant shareholder value. The high level of interest and initial customer feedback on our Kingsport plan are allowing us to accelerate some of our engineering work at our Ashdown mill for further expansion to line aboard. As detailed on our last earnings call, we have initiated a cost reduction plan, consistent with our priority to position Domtar for long-term success as a stronger, more resilient, and more agile organization. We identified opportunities in three areas, including capacity reductions and asset closures, mill-level cost savings, and right-sizing support functions. We're making solid progress and feel comfortable with our target to deliver $200 million in annual run rate savings by the end of 21. We announced a first wave of headcount reductions related to asset restructuring in August, followed by a second wave in September, mostly through right-sizing support functions at all levels of the organization. It's never easy to make the decisions to reduce our workforce of talented and dedicated individuals. However, we have to take these necessary steps to better position our business for the future. The benefits of network optimization are already visible on our operating margins, while headcount reduction is creating a more agile, streamlined, and efficient core business. These decisions are essential steps that will significantly improve our free cash flow and return on invested capital and support our repurposing program. In personal care, sales in Europe regained momentum in quarter three, particularly in September, after a weaker second quarter following pantry loading in quarter one. In North America, our year-to-date sales are 19% higher, led by the launch of several new customer brands. Towards the end of the quarter, we began servicing and expanding our share of wallet with one of our biggest customers in the U.S. We expect for the ramp-up to continue throughout the fourth quarter. We were also recently awarded a contract extension for an additional year by another major retailer. This is significant as we only recently began to service them, and the contract extension is two years ahead of schedule. This is the direct result of the success we're having with our partner brand strategy. Our partner brand approach has proven successful, 
in both infant diapers and adult incontinence products on both, in both North America and Europe. We're winning new business and gaining the trust from leading retailers by leveraging our know-how and capabilities in absorbent hygiene markets to deliver end-to-end -end solutions for their store brand needs. As previously announced, we're exploring a range of value-creating alternatives for our personal care division following successful efforts to improve its operating structure and its cost profile. This action represents our ongoing commitment to drive profitable growth and maximize the value of our assets. As we stated last quarter, we do not intend to comment on the details of the process until we have an update to share. Turning to our fourth quarter outlook, in paper, volume is expected to be flat quarter over quarter, while mix should be slightly unfavorable due to the usual seasonality. In pulp, we expect near-term markets to gradually improve in both demand and price, while personal care will benefit further from higher usage and the impact from new customer wins. Overall, raw materials are expected to remain stable, while planned maintenance costs will be lower. So to wrap up, we continue to prepare for a broad range of outcomes while focusing on serving our customers, supporting our employees, and strengthening our communities. We are a fiber-based company with leading market positions, strong financial liquidity, and a well-defined strategy to continue on a clear path to sustainable long-term value creation. We're prudently managing the business through near-term volatility while continuing to strengthen long-term prospects through increased growth investments to create shareholder value. Thank you for your time and support, and I'll turn the call back to Nick for questions. Thank you, John. So both John and Danielle will be available for questions. I'd ask our participants to ask two questions at a time and return to the queue for follow-ups if you want to get as many people as possible. Kerry, you can open up the lines for questions. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please make sure that your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Again, that is star 1 to ask an audio question. We'll pause for just a moment to allow everyone the opportunity to signal. Our first question will be from Anthony Petinari from City. Uh, good morning. Anthony, good morning. John or, or, or Danielle, can you talk a little bit more about the expected flow-through and timeline for the $200 million cost savings program? Uh, you, you outlined some of the activities you've already taken, but can you talk, and apologies if I miss this, but can you talk about how much of the benefit you might be able to realize on a run rate basis, maybe in 4Q, and then if you think about the flow-through, maybe in the first half of next year versus the second half of next year, kind of any finer point you can put on it? Certainly, Annie. So, uh, as you know, we've said we see full run rate by the end of 21. I, I think the way to look at this is to really look at the margins we're capable of generating in our businesses um, over that time. And you've seen, you know, a pretty strong margin, obviously, in quarter three. And we're looking for those kind of margins to continue, uh, if not to slightly grow. So we're not planning to... Um, kind of give those run rate numbers, because obviously there's lots of other moving parts. But I think you can judge us uh, by the level of EBITDA you start to see from this business, yeah, given the volume reduction. Okay, that, that's helpful. Um, and then you, you talked about accelerating activities to prepare Ashdown for an eventual conversion into liner board. 
I think based on some of the conversations that you've had. I'm just wondering, can you remind us what kind of original timetable you had envisioned for Ashdown, you know, how much that might be able to be pulled forward, whether it's, you know, number of months or number of quarters. And is the acceleration really driven by whether it's converters or end customers, just a, a, a much stronger response than you expected or just much, potentially much stronger demand for, for your tons? Just if you can give any color there. Well, I, I think it's, it's, I'll try and give you a helpful answer. It's all of the above. Just to recall, Ashdown would be about 400,000 tons of craft liner. I think we have an internal question to ask ourselves is that do we actually have the resources and the capabilities to manage you know, two large projects almost sequentially. So the way we're looking at this is that sometime in 21, uh, we would have made our choices. If, if that choice is a positive choice, you, know, you could say two and a half years-ish, maybe a little longer, uh, before actually we're manufacturing there. So typically, I think we'd thought about this as kind of maybe Ashdown comes in two or three years post-Kingsport, I think now we're we're looking to see could we could we accelerate that slightly. Okay, that's very helpful. I'll turn it over. Okay, thanks, Emily. Thank you. Our next question will come from Mark Connolly from Stevens. Thanks, um, Mark. Morning. You said that mix. You said that mix will be unfavorable um, as it usually is, uh, but can you tell us whether um, these big changes in demand are making the mix swings? much different than they usually are, um, you know, as as our orders getting spread out differently and changing the uncertainty. I'm just trying to get a sense of, of whether mix is, sure. is sort of evolving or if it's significantly changed. Uh, so, a, a great question. So, I think, as you recall, Mark, in quarter four, you know, typically we do quite a lot of the kind of work that we wouldn't usually do in a quieter demand period. And that obviously, you know, we do some tablet, we do some of the stuff that, you know, drives the mix down just based on realized price and seasonality. Obviously, in a, in a full-ish system, which we now are, uh, there'll be slightly less of that than usual, but there'll still probably be some. So I, I don't think anything has structurally changed. I think what we're seeing is Having taken out that level of capacity that we've taken out, obviously there's business that we've walked away from. That business has been at the lower end of the profit stack. So, you know, what you saw in quarter three was margin move up as we had, if you like, better business at sort of the higher end of the profit stack. That will reverse very slightly in uh, December in the way it usually does. Maybe not quite so dramatic, but I think, it, think it'll still be there. And as we then move forward, you know, provided volumes stay around the sort of September levels, um, we, we do see the potential for mixed improvement. One other thing we're also doing, of course, although it's, it's relatively small tonnage, as we take tons off the Port Huron machines and we put them onto some of our other machines, uh, we actually get a pretty nice cost benefit for ton as we supply those tons. Thank you. And just one more question. Um, you, you referenced sure. some of the steps to address um, inefficiencies, you know, at Ashdown from closing the paper production. Are there any big inefficiencies you're going to have to live with until you get to liner board? No, not when we've done the work, Mark. But we haven't. I mean, we're in the middle of the work. So I think, you know, end quarter one, quarter two of next year, 
the profile of that mill. We have we have some labor practices that that we've already negotiated to change. We'll be running as we want to run in that mill probably by quarter two of next year. So we're still in the midst of that change, and that's quite frankly partly what's driving some of our our pulp returns are not as attractive as they should be because obviously that's a large impact on our pulp business. Right. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question will be from Steve Chercover from DA Davidson. Thanks and good morning. So, Steve, good morning. It's great that you. Good morning. Uh, it's terrific that you enjoyed substantially better productivity, but I, I hope that wasn't what surprised you because. You know, I assume that you expect the best from your from your people. So, what was it that did surprise you and help um, you exceed your expectations? Well, I think one because of the cost reduction program and how quickly we implemented it. I think we saw benefit there. Uh, patently, one of the things we had done, Steve, is that we had put a hiring freeze in place. So we were running with a high number of vacancies. Now, of course, what has now happened for most of those is those jobs are permanently gone. So that helped us a bit as, as we tightened everything up. Patently, you know, T&E is very, very tight because no one's going anywhere. So that, that's driven part of it. And, of course, you know, the big driver was the volume where volumes returned, uh, as we say, you know, quarter on quarter. And because we'd done a great job on the cost side of things, uh, you know, that drop-through, of course, is even more dramatic as those additional tons come in. So that, that's that's really what drove it for us. Okay, that's, that's encouraging. And then, you know, and this isn't a loaded question, but after taking out the capacity and recognizing that <clears throat> there's still more to come at Port Huron, um, mm -hmm. the 20,000 tons of market-related downtime, I assume your expectation is that's not going to be necessary once we – normalize and start going back to school and back to offices. So is that accurate? And, and have you taken any market-related downtime in the current quarter? Uh, it is accurate. And the answer to your question is no, we haven't. So we're operating a full system. And uh, if I'm being truthful, some of our lead times are, you know, we actually need to bring back a bit because uh, we're actually pretty full right now. Great. That's what I wanted to hear. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question will come from Adam Josephson with KeyBank. Thanks. Good morning. Uh, good morning, John, Danielle, and Nick. Hope you and your families are well. Um, Thank you, Adam. John, Thank one, you. More, one more question on the paper profitability in the quarter. I think you, you indicated that the margins uh, and the EBITDA per ton would be – you think these are sustainable levels. I just – I look back at the past several years. Your margin and EBITDA per ton in the third quarter were the highest, in, and not just – year, but in any third quarter in many, many years, even though volume was down quite considerably year on year. Are you suggesting that mm -hmm. the mar you expect the margins and the EBITDA per ton to stay at these levels just for the third quarter, or that these appreciating that third quarter is, is typically your highest margin quarter of the year? Yeah. I mean, you obviously have to think, uh, Adam, about sort of maintenance intensity in particular quarters, right? So that'll that'll swing the numbers around quite dramatically. But undoubtedly, when we did the math to look at what do we need to do here to maintain kind of high 
teens margin in our paper business on a sustainable basis, you know, that is why $200 million of cost simply had to come out of this business to enable us to do that. Now, you're right, you know, quarter three, you, you could argue everything lined up, but unquestionably, we're targeting those kind of margins on a sustainable basis. We have a full system. We can certainly make some choices around product mix and customer selection at this point. Um, and I think, you know, more and more as we as we build that going forward and we keep squeezing the cost position, uh, the, you know, that's where we're going to find ourselves. I appreciate that, John. And just one on the, uh, the customer conversations you've had uh, with converters and others. I mean, it, up until recently, I mean, the market suddenly tightened a couple months ago. Before that, converters were virtually being bombarded with offers by all manner of producers. And then, as you know, in the last few months, conditions dramatically changed for how long, I don't know, and it doesn't seem like anyone else does either. Uh, so I guess I'm just wondering what you what you are bringing to the table to converters or, or end market buyers that perhaps many of these other companies that have recently either added capacity or or have announced capacity are adding to the market because there's obviously more than 10 machines coming on over the next couple of years. And I'm just wondering, again, if you're more targeting the independents with with mm-hmm. with uh, Kingsport and, and subsequently Ashdown or it's more large end market buyers that you may be able to strike some deal with whereby you team up and build some box plants, et cetera. Well, it's, it, it, in all honesty, it's really the independence at this point. And I think the, the large buyers, they also have a view, I think, that, um, you know, they'd, they also would like to support some of the independents if there was something, somebody really competitive behind those independents in terms of containable production. So, you know, we're looking at it two ways. I think we're emphasizing the cost position of this mill. This is going to be an incredibly competitive mill under any circumstances. So that's kind of, you know, route one in terms of making certain that this is a profitable enterprise. From a market standpoint, I mean, having obviously operated a large integrated system myself whilst trying to sell to independents, the independents are always very watchful of you because they know your priority is actually your integrated system. Right. So if you're selling to those independents saying, look, you're our priority, we want you to succeed, and we're going to help you drive your business forward, um, they're only too willing to have a conversation. Do you have to be competitive? Absolutely. Of course you do over time. Uh, but we think that's a very strong proposition. And again, I think if you start to look at the European structure of container board, the business that I was used to operating in, in that space for a number of years, you know, independents have a much stronger position. Typically, they're better at servicing their customers sometimes than the big integrateds are, and they're more fleet of foot in finding market opportunities. So I think if you put all that together with a strong container board business uh, supporting them, uh, you can change the dynamic here uh, in quite interesting ways. And of course, you know, we believe very strongly that it's going to be the uniqueness of our market approach that actually really drives the difference. Thanks a lot, John. Thank you. Our next question will be from Paul Quinn from RBC Capital Markets. Yeah, thanks. Uh, good morning, guys. Paul, good morning. Um, um, two, 
two questions. One on the uh, on the on the potential uh, container board side. You know, one of the advantages that you said uh, when you had a number of fluff pulp mills is is we have uh, assurance of supply for our for our customers. And and just wondering how you're going to become the go-to supplier for independent box makers with just with just Kingsport. It is that is that more of a you know five to ten year goal as opposed to a, a three year goal. Yeah, so a uh, great question. So I think you're right, Paul, that over time you have to have another site. Obviously, we have a runway to four very competitive mills. Um, I, I do think it will be compelling, if we can, to uh, think about Ashdown and its 400,000 tons of craft liner. I think if you're then a kind of two-mill system, um, you know, with those two grades, you're in a, you're in a better space. Um, so I think over time we have to make that journey, but, you know, everything we're seeing right now, to be frank, and certainly the conversations we're having of incredibly positive around just the Kingsport facility. Great. Um, and then just on the, uh, the pulp side, we, we got September stats out and, and software's up at 46 days, which, you know, I can't recall when it was back up at 46 days and I can't believe the price is still, still up at this point, uh, given that inventory. It doesn't seem like anybody that we track has got a ton of inventory. Are you starting to doubt these stats? Does the market seem better than, than 46 days of inventory globally? It, it does, absolutely, particularly in China. It does. I, I, to be honest, I, I think there was, a, there was a pre-buy for kind of pantry loading and a post-buy, post-pantry loading. I think I think that inventory has kind of worked its way through now. So I'm slightly with you. I'm I'm not sure I can wrap my head around. It doesn't feel that way. Put it that way. If and if I look at October, uh, you know we've had one of the strongest months in pulp than we've ever had in terms of volume. So I, I'm struggling to see that too. Okay. Thanks very much. Best of luck. Thank you. Our next question will be from George Stappos from Bank of America. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Uh, thanks for the details. George, good morning. Hey, how you doing? You're welcome. John, I, I wanted to uh, piggyback uh, perhaps on Paul's topic and, and go into pulp a bit. So my first two questions, can you give us a breakdown of what you think the mix of pulp will be in tonnage terms in Ashdown in 21 uh, how it compared versus 20 and, and, and what you'd expect sort of 22, 23 in that time frame. I, you know, we're not going to hold you to the, to the ounce here, but just, you know, rough order of magnitude. And then the, the follow-on question, uh, you know, look, it's been a tough time for a lot of pulp producers over the last couple of years, unless you're in South America, you know, recognizing you're in, in different grades and different products, and hopefully fluff gives you some ballast against the cyclicality, Nonetheless, the fluff producers in North America are losing money right now. Why do you believe that this is a business, and, and try to put some numbers around this, that you can actually earn cost of capital through a cycle, not just when prices are back up $300 a ton from where they're at right now? Thanks. You're welcome. So uh, your, your answer on Ashdown is about 600,000 tons of fluff pulp is the capability, George. Yep. And obviously, you know, there comes a point. I mean, that's that will be what it is. And obviously, we have the opportunity to make softwood bales. But you, you add it all up. That's that's the volume. Uh, 
as we began, we were making more software bales. Now we're making less. And our goal over time, of course, is really to largely, you know, make fluff. So I, I hope that kind of gives you that set of the numbers. To your question about... Split it, John, at all? Sorry. You know, is there ways, forgive me for interrupting, is there any way to split it for next year? Which is, I, I know it's going to be market-dependent, obviously, but 50, 60, 40, any way you, you could slice that for us? I would think 75, 25 is about a, a reasonable rule of thumb, but please don't hang me at the stake if it's slightly different. <laughs> Understood. Okay. It's pulp. <laughs> All right. Find out later. All right. All right. Let me let me answer your market question because I, I think that that's a, that's a very interesting question. So, the, I think the only way to look at this is where is this product? What is this product servicing in terms of end use? So, we know it's serving the adult incontinence business. We know it's also serving the feminine hygiene business. Uh, and of course, it's serving the baby business. So if you, if you take those three businesses, you say to yourself, adult incontinence has an enormous amount of runway, even if products are redesigned, as some are, to kind of reduce the level of fluff pulp as the technology improves slightly. There's still, you know, this is this is a five, six six percent market growth year after year after year. At least, I mean, as far as you can see, out till 2050. The baby business, uh, undoubtedly, in developing markets, is a sort of low low decline business right now, but you know may revert back to being sort of a GDP business. And of course, in developing markets, uh, is growing like topsy as people come out of cloth diapers into uh, disposables. The feminine hygiene business, which is the smallest sector, uh, is now really starting to grow after a pretty slow start in places like India and China, where there were some kind of cultural barriers, I guess one might say, to those types of products. So I come away saying those markets are going to continue to grow at, at a nice clip, and fluff pulp is, you know, the product there to, uh, to really give those markets what they need. I think what we've done, too, which is kind of interesting, the EAM business that we don't talk about very much, uh, is really well positioned in the feminine hygiene space. And we're now, we put that together with our pulp business and really are talking to our major accounts in that space, you know, around a true technically driven product offering. And I, I think there too, actually, over time, we're going to improve some of our margins. So I put all that together and I would, you know, I, I, I would say I, I'm still believe that's a business where we can, you know, achieve our cost of capital over time. So, John, I'll turn it over, but it sounds like your view is the growth is going to give you some form of a price premium that's larger than what you've seen over time um, so that when prices decline again, you won't be underwater. Is that the takeaway? It is. And I think one thing that's an internal issue, George, you know, we, we've chopped and changed quite a lot at Ashdown. If you think what we've done, we were, we were making paper at Ashdown. That created some overhead absorption. When we stopped making paper, some of those overheads stayed with us. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. noise there. So I, 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 then, so I think, as I've said, answered to a previous question, I, I would say, you know, quarter two of next year, we're going to see that business operating as it should. We think there's some pretty solid numbers. Other issue in our pulp business has been, you know, we're doing a lot of work to a single line Espanola and take costs out of that. Those two bits of work together, I think, will make our pulp 
profitability look pretty different from where it is at the trough of this cycle. Okay. Much. You're welcome. Thank you. Our next question will be from John Bumazos from John Bumazos Science Research. Thank you very much. John, hi. Hi. Congratulations on all the progress. The Thank you. The alt mix slipped to 34% of the total pulp in 3Q. Is yeah. there any particular reason why the higher value would be the most competitive category? You, you're talking around volume, John. Yeah, you're just your, little, your, yeah. your, your, your chart that says yeah. percent of total. Yeah, sure. Yeah, got it. So I think that there I would say that was the grade that when pantry loading really started at the end of quarter one that benefited the most because people were buying thinking, my God, this is the future. The consumer's stuck at home. You know, they're going to buy diapers. They're going to buy adult incontinence products. Huge, you know, massive retail shortages. So the back end of that supply chain reacted accordingly, and we were shipping a lot of fluff pulp. Now, actually, as it transpired, the usage as distinct from the pantry loading really never really shifted. I mean, other than wipes, of course. So when you look at that, there was then this continued shipment into quarter two of fluff pulp. And then the, the customers thought, I've got too much inventory here of fluff pulp. I'm also not getting the volume I was expecting from my products because actually there was no usage increase from the pantry loading. And therefore, in quarter three, actually orders were pretty quiet. So I think that is a temporary issue. We still have the customers we had, uh, so we're not losing customer share. Uh, it's very much, I think, around that inventory correction. That gives you a bit more color. Yes, thank you. I can ask another. We've gone five consecutive sequential quarters of improving personal care. Um, what do you think is the normal margin after you win the next few customers? Uh, do you think the the target is 30 million of quarterly EBIT or 40 million of quarterly EBIT, or is it too soon to say? I, can I answer that in uh, in percentage terms, if you don't mind? So sure. that is a business that that I target at mid to high teens EBITDA. So you know that that's where I think that business, my experience in a previous life with that kind of business, was certainly in that space, if not slightly higher. The world's changed slightly, but certainly mid mid. So, you know, solid teens EBITDA you should see from that business week in, week out. So if the strategic review process takes a little longer, it's to your benefit as the margin steadily improves? Yes, I don't – that's a great question. Yes, I mean, I don't think we're sort of, you know – trying to gasp over some finishing line here in terms of the margin opportunity in that business. If I talk to the business specifically as distinct from the market, we still have a lot of operating leverage uh, that we can find in our Delaware business, which is really focused on our baby business. So, you know, we're seeing overall equipment efficiencies you know, we could add a number of points to as we settle the place down after the Waco move and we've rebuilt six machines. Um, the same, I think, is true 
in a, a new Inco line that we put into our Spanish business and also into our Swedish business. So, yeah, I think that there's both market growth and operating leverage. Excuse me for my interest. I've never been through a diaper plant. Are these lines very easy to add, just one more line where there's no single massive bottleneck like a digester and a paper mill? Correct. That, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a classic – yeah, it's a, it's a classic converting business, John. Now, they're, you know, they're large, complex pieces of machinery, um, but, yeah, you, you put a line in, and you, you don't need to kind of reinvent the back end to do it. Thank you for your patience with me. No, thank you. Thank you for your interest. Much appreciated. Our next question will be from Mark Wild from Bank of Montreal. Oh, good morning, Mr. Williams. Good morning, sir. Uh, John, I wanted to just come back again to kind of the uh, uh, marketing and market development work over at Kingsport. You, you mentioned that you're talking with lots of different independent converters. I'm just curious, there are several big foreign players who are building out converting in the upper Midwest, Indiana, Ohio, elsewhere. I mean, what about them as potential uh, partners or customers for you? And also, what about the idea of just looking at maybe some different pricing structures going forward? I mean, your big risk at Kingsport is always going to be kind of the fluctuations in, in OCC and purchased energy costs. So. Um, could we move away from from market prices and potentially move some of this business to kind of a uh, more of a fixed margin business? Well, let me uh, let me answer the first question. So, uh, obviously, these are all people I know very well, having competed with them for eight years in Europe. So, absolutely, we will have discussions with them. I, I'm mean, on your second point. I, I think for us to be compelling we have to be open-minded both about the business model uh, and, you know, kind of how, how we're going to ship and supply and what's our relationship going to be with end-use customers. So we have an open mind on all that, Mark, to be truthful. Okay. All right. That sounds good. Then the, the other area I wanted to ask about is just uh, over in the paper business, whether you can mm-hmm. potentially pick up some share with bigger buyers because – your two biggest competitors are sounding a little ambivalent about sort of their their future in the white paper business. And so I'm, yeah. I'm just curious as to whether, you know, that opens up some opportunities for you in terms of customer dialogue. Well, I believe it does uh, very strongly. We've, I mean, I, I mean, you know us well enough. I mean, we, I think, have always, certainly since ever since I've been here, I have positioned ourselves very much as people who are committed to this industry. Um, and of course, now, I think the good news is that if Ashdown will be the next conversion to con- container board, there is no impact on our fine paper business from doing that, Mark, because obviously we've already taken that paper machine out. So, you know, we can grow into that container board space as well as stay a dedicated, focused, um, uncoded pre sheet supplier. So, to your point, I mean, th- that is a story, and it's also is helpfully the truth that we tell our customers that, you know, we are the people who are going to run the most cost competitive, 
the most focused and the most product development orientated fine paper business, and we're going to keep doing it. I think, you know, our little move into thermal with West Carlton, for example, tells you we'll also look for, you know, if there are any interesting little verticals that we could perhaps do some stuff with to uh, create a bit of added value, we'll do it. So you make a very good point. Okay. All right. Sounds good. I just have two you know, number questions for Daniel, if I can slip them in. One is maintenance was down about $75 million this year off of 19. Uh, if Daniel could help us think about where that might be in 21. And then also, uh, what benefit was there in the third quarter from wage subsidies and other government incentives? And then what does that look like as we move to fourth quarter? Daniel, you want to say that? Yeah, I will. Uh, so maintenance, we're in the budget process, but uh, we've, we've pushed a little bit uh, of maintenance uh, from 2020 to 2021. So next year starts with uh, with uh, probably more mills that will go down. But through our cost-saving program, we have, uh, as, I mean, working hard to keep that uh, uh, in balance. So we'll, we'll be able to share more at our next call in terms of what we expect for maintenance. But I... I, I I think it's going to be flattish uh, to this year, but we need to, to to do the work or complete the work before being more precise there. Uh, in terms of the Canadian wage subsidy, we got uh, I think eight million dollars, seven eight in the in the quarter. It's slowly uh, reducing the way the formula is, so expect um, um, a, a smaller number uh, in in Q4, and we'll see if it's uh, if it's still available to us early next year. Uh, but for the next quarter. Uh, five six is probably a good a good assumption. Okay, that's helpful. Thanks, guys. I'll turn it over. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Our next question will be from Adam Josephson from KeyBank. John, thanks so much for, for taking my uh, couple follow-ups on. Just back to, to Ashdown. Uh, for a moment. So if, if, are you able to share with us any work you've done on roughly what the cost of conversion would be either on a just absolute basis or a per ton basis compared to what uh, you're spending at Kingsport? And then relatedly, if Ashdown's going to be cra uh, craft liner, obviously Kingsport is recycled. When you talk to these mm -hmm. independents and, and perhaps others, do they have they expressed any preference for recycled versus craft? I ask simply because, as you know, Europe is is vast majority recycled. Where the other way around? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then uh, and then almost yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. No, the answer to that question is no. They they haven't they haven't they haven't expressed a preference. And on um, the cost, of, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I, on the cost, it, it, it's a little early to be honest. Uh, we think at least the level of Kingsport may be a tiny, tiny bit higher, but we're we're working on that right now. It's really all around the work we would have to probably do at the back of the mill, Adam, and we're, we're just working that out. Right. And then, John, just one last one on these conversations you've had. Has anything? taken you by surprise in terms of the response you've gotten or or the the or the requests on the part of either the independents or others with whom you might do business either in terms of pricing service levels etc uh, not really I, I think so if I, I don't want to be naive here right of course they're going to welcome us into the market because they're looking to change the dynamic of that marketplace um, you know, the proof of the pudding will be us shipping product out the door to these customers. But certainly, I feel that the initial response has been 
I guess I would say as positive as I was expecting. And one of the reasons, of course, is, you know, having run one of these businesses for a number of years in Europe, I'm only too well aware of the frustration of independents who have to put a lot of their supply uh, into uh, integrated container wool producers, right? It's just you're always concerned that you're really not the priority. So, and I think that message has been coming loud and clear from the people we've been we've been talking to. Okay. Got it. Thank. Yep. Thank you, John. You're welcome. Next question will be from George Stephens from Bank of America. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my phone. George. Uh, hey, Daniel. Just, if, could you just give us a quick reminder on what capex should be for this year, and if you have an early read on 21? Uh, just seeing the the real strong cash flow in the quarter and you know, certainly in, in in relation to CapEx, which was relatively lower, it just kind of jogged my brain to ask that question. And then I had one last follow-on, at least for me, on Container Board. So uh, we, we expect CapEx this year to, uh, to end around $160 million, uh, which is in line with uh, what I've shared with you last quarter. We might be a tiny uh, lower than that. Uh, it, I mean, there's always kind of a risk of a of some capex to move out and go into next year. As for capex for next year, uh, again, as I said on the maintenance uh, discussion, uh, we're in the budget process, so it's very, very early to uh, to share that. But it's going to be way more uh, because of the ash down, uh, the sorry, the Kingsport conversion. Uh, but we'll have a precise number on our next call. Okay, but aside from Kingsport, which obviously is a an important place to put the capital. Is there any area where you need to do any kind of catch-up spending, or no, it would be up more or less just because of the projects? Daniel, may I answer that one, if you, if you wouldn't mind? Um, Go ahead. George, th 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 there's one area. As you may recall, we had a very uh, aggressive plan, I would say, on our pulp business, uh, some of which was CapEx-driven to reduce costs and make ourselves more efficient. In the, in the light of COVID, we chose not to do that, uh, really because, you know, let, let's all batten down the hatches, as we said at the time. Right. So I, right. in, our, in our budget process, we're certainly going to have a, a good, long discussion around, you know, should we reawaken that program? Uh, and we have the potential for one CapEx program in our uh, in our EAM business, which we're just looking at, which would be a kind of one-off. But other than that, it's pretty much kind of business as usual. Okay. Understood. And my question on Container Board, and I recognize this is kind of a tough place to talk about this question, but given the fact that you've said you've gotten tremendous interest, that's my word, not yours, but certainly very good interest in, from your potential customers and their customers for the mill, uh -huh. And uh -huh. what you expect to be, you know, pretty high quality sheet. Uh, and the fact you're going to have an open business model, an open model how you market the product, answering, you know, Mark's question from earlier. Do you anticipate mm -hmm. the product coming out of Kingsport will be selling more or less on top of whatever the market index is for similar product? Should it be at a premium? or maybe not a premium because you'll be at lower cost. How would you have us think about that, recognizing it's time to talk about that public forum? Thanks and good luck in the quarter. <laughs> the answer is I just can't answer the question, George, but thank you for asking it. <laughs> okay.
Okay, John. I appreciate your patience with it. Thanks. All right. Take care. Take care. And I'm showing no further questions in the queue at this time. Okay. Thank you, Carrie. Um, well, we will release our uh, fourth quarter and full year 2020 results on Thursday, February 11, 2021. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes today's teleconference. Let me now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money.